The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Thank you, Pastor Craig and crew. And I'm going to step outside here. Uh, We are preaching outside today. And uh, if you're inside, I know we've encouraged you to come inside. And we also promised we'd preach at least three more times this summer outside on the fourth Sunday. It is hard to believe it is the fourth Sunday. Here we are. And uh, God is good. And it is one of those days it hasn't rained. And so we are here. It's good to be with you. And this morning, we're praying for Pastor Rick Lum of New Directions Church. I'm telling you, the last five weeks, reached out to different pastors, and each of them uh, have not responded back to how to pray. So we're going to pray generally, and that's okay. It's a busy season right now for pastors, as it is for most of you, but we're going to pray for our brother as we do. As we come to this time of prayer, we're also going to pray for our church family. Uh, If you're joining us online, we're not going to say their names, but we do have some that have gotten very sick in recent days. We have some who are recovering from different ailments. We're going to pray for them. We're also going to be praying for our uh, church as we continue to reopen and uh, finish out the Children's Center. So if you'll bow your heads at the inside, online, or wherever you are, outside, let's bow before the Lord and we'll go before Him as well. Let's, Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our time. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to gather today to to hear your word. Father, we, we don't take for granted the opportunity we have just to hear the word of God. Father, uh, probably three-fourths of this world, if we really know statistics, have never sat continuously under the Word of God, and more so do not even know you personally, Father, by your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, as we come today, we are well attuned to this time. We know it's a sermon. We know we're going to hear words. But, Father, give us wisdom. Give us grace, especially on the topic we're going to talk about as we continue on in First Thessalonians. Father, we pray for our sister church, New Direction Church, Pastor Rick Lum. Father, we just pray you give them strength and grace in these times and hours. Uh, Father, in this pandemic and uh, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, but may they be faithfully preaching and knowing your word together and better as they go through this time. Father, we pray also for uh, a couple in our church who are sick with COVID, Lord, no connection inside or directly to anyone in the church. Father, we pray you recover them. We pray also, Father, for one that is in rehab in our church, another uh, couple that we've had recovering from surgeries, and families who've had loss in the last few weeks, Lord. We continue to pray for their comfort. Father, we also lift up to you our, our, our building, our children's center, as we reopen that in the coming weeks. Thank you for the paint that's coming, the flooring, and all the final touches and designs. Thank you for the design team and properties team and the ladies, especially who are the teachers who have helped give great input to this time. Father, you're so good. We pray as we study your word that you are lifted high. Lord, we pray all these things today in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Well, we are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 this morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we are continuing, I think we're in our seventh installment now of the title of the sermon series called Countercultural, Countercultural, and Countercultural is our way to look at what it is that God has called us to do, and you know we've been studying Paul as he writes 
to this church in the uh, what was then a Greek city of Thessalonica in the Roman Empire. He's writing to them knowing that this church, among many churches he's planted, has actually lived out and continues to live out what God has called them to do. And so he's he said a lot of uh, great encouragements to them. He's, 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 he's pointed them back to the gospel. He's pointed them back to community. He's pointed them back to each other. But more than anything else, he's pointed them back to the very things that God has called them to be. And so we appreciate that Paul has left this letter for us and God has given it to us in our scripture because it tells us so clearly what we're called to be. But also what we see here in this scripture and what we see here in this text is Paul is now moving from telling them all these great things to reminding them, he's exhorting them, he's calling them to holiness and especially about a topic that is one of sexual faithfulness. And I know we have little ears in our congregation, and we're walking that line between preaching that truth but also uh, being sensitive to that need. So please pray for that even as you listen this morning. But let's read the scripture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 to 8. It's what Paul says. This is God's word. If you're inside, if you want to stand with us, you're welcome to do so as we read God's word. Hear God's word this morning. Paul says, finally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and we urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you were doing. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality and that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor, not in passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, but, verse 6, that no one transgress or wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, and as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. And finally, verse seven or verse 8, he says, Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not, on, not only man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together, and we're going to get into this text and look at the sermon title of Why is Sex Outside the Marital Relationship Wrong? Why is Sex Outside the Marital Relationship Wrong? As we consider as a church, as individuals, as families, what this means in our countercultural sermon series. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much. As we come on a topic, Lord, that is very uh, unique, Lord, in today's world, not unique to most people who are hearing this, Lord, for we know that this is a topic, if you've been in church for a while, that you've probably heard before. But Lord, it's unique because so few preach on it today, and we're not any better than anyone who has or who has not, for sure. But Lord, it's a topic that is needed, because as we look to our church as a place of community, as we look to be people of holiness, as we look to be people who want to glorify your name, this topic that applies to us all is needed today. Father, help us. Give us wisdom. Give us that balance between preaching the word and being sensitive to little ears. But at the same time, may your truth come forth. Father, we thank you so much. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there is a tension that exists today, if we're honest, between autonomy, where people have their own power to do stuff, and intimacy. And it's in a topic that often comes together in what many call cohabitation. Today, between 50 and 70% of American couples are cohabitating before instead of marrying. 
And living together now is seen as the only mature way to begin an intimate relationship while preserving one's personal goals and integrity. And this is a definitely a maybe, it's a definitely slash maybe approach. It's kind of a wait and see, a try before you buy period as to whether or not you want to get married. Because of intimate relationships or mortgages, we might call these types of relationships cohabitating people subprime commitments. They are high-risk projects with literal or no collateral security. Unfortunately, just like subprime mortgages are today, these relationships where a man and a woman spend time together and live together and engage together outside of marriage itself are designed to fail. And what is most startling about the trend of living together outside of marriage is that it's even more popular, but it ultimately, though, undermines relationships. Indeed, the evidence completely, even secular evidence, completely contradicts the popular belief that testing a relationship first is the best way to secure its future. As a path to marriage, cohabitation is extremely unreliable, with only one in five cohabiting relationships ending in marriage, and these figures only get worse over time. You say, well, Darren, how does this apply to us now? What does this have to do with anything? Well, until now, there has never been a place in history, perhaps, of the world, in our culture, and in our nation today, that puts so much emphasis and hope into the word S-E-X for happiness and fulfillment. And Christian, it is a reminder to us that following the Bible and what it requires is definitely not in line with the culture. Yet God's design, God's expectations, while sometimes hard and mysterious, are never random. What God declares good is, in fact, good and fruitful for all people for all time. So when we come to this text, if you're older, if you're older married, if you're younger, if you're single, if you're widow, if you're married, you're widower, if you're father, mother, whatever it is, I want you to know this applies to us all. Because we should be proud of what the Bible says, and we need to be aware and remind ourselves of what it teaches. Proverbs 4 tells us not to swerve to the right or to the left, but to turn our foot away from evil. And nothing in the Bible encourages us to give sex the exalted status it has in our culture, as if finding our purpose or our identity or fulfillment all rests on what we can or cannot do with our private parts, to put it bluntly. Jesus is the fullest example of what it means to be human, and he never engaged in this. Doesn't mean it's bad, but we can't allow ourselves to live as modern evangelical uh, monastics who attempt to hide from this topic. Nor can we be lulled or intimidated into silence in this area where the Creator has spoken so powerfully and clearly over the ages. And we must not forget the lie-exposing, freedom-granting truths of the gospel. We are not powerless, nor are we alone in our struggle to deal with this topic in a way that is godly, that is practical, but is also very in tune to what God has said. So why are we afraid to talk about this? I mean, how do we come to think that the most intense emotional attachments and fulfilling aspects of our lives can only be fulfilled in something that's reserved for married people? And how do we prevent what is talked about in this passage in our Christian life? Well, today's big idea is simply this. It's that if sex comes from the Lord, it belongs to the Lord, it's written about in the word of the Lord, and it exists for the glory of the Lord, then we better start talking about it. And five things today we're going to see, five answers to why, specifically why, sex outside of marriage is wrong. 
I'm going to get right to it here as we look at verses 1 and 2. I want you to see the first reason this morning why sex outside of marriage is wrong. It's this, is that sex outside of marriage deceives the purposes of God. It deceives the purposes of God. Notice in verse 1 what Paul tells us to do. Paul tells us, he says that we are exhorted to please God. That's what you're here to do. That's what we're supposed to do. When, when sex takes a, a primary avenue in our lives and our culture and overtakes our mind and what we view and how we see things, we are not doing what Paul tells us to do. He says, brothers, sisters, we ask and we urge you in the Lord Jesus that you ought to walk to please God. Is that what your life is all about? Is that what my life is all about, is seeking to please God? Because when we focus so much on something that God gave us, it's almost focusing on a minor in the midst of the majors. It's important, but it's not all that God expects out of us. So he tells us that we are expected to please God. We're expected to do that. He tells us, he goes on there in verse 1. He says that you do so more and more. The one thing we should be about in our culture is asking God, how can I please you today, God? How can I bring about your will in my life, in my family, Lord? How can my mind stay pure, Lord? How can I encourage other brothers and sisters in this area to stay the course? For friend, this culture will tell you that if you do not have in mind what it has in mind, then you're wrong. But God will tell you as it relates to sexual topics that unless you have his things in mind, you're doing it wrong. So he says, finally, brothers, sisters, we ask you, he asks them, he urges them. In who? In the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we want to please God in this area? We please God in this area because it pleases our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How we ought to walk and to please God. Friends, and I just want to tell you this. If you're older, I thought about you all in the congregation this week that, you know, this might not be part of your daily life and your marriage anymore or whatever it is. But friends, it impacts someone in our church. And we come to topics like this, and you say, well, I'm not really struggling with that, therefore I'm going to tune out, or that doesn't apply to me. You forget what Paul has told us already, that we're in community together. That we're in community together. And when one person is struggling with something, it affects the rest, doesn't it? And so he says that you ought to walk to please God. How do you know what pleases God? Read his word. Talk to other Christians. You pray about it. You seek to live out what you already know is the truth, and that's where you start. Because he tells you, he says there in verse 2, he says, you know the instructions we gave you. You know the instructions. Friends, it's like a kid when you ask them, and I, I say this a lot, and my wife knows this, do you understand? We ask our kids. They understand nine times out of ten, don't they? It's just a matter of doing it. And so he tells them, look, to stay faithful in marriage and to stay faithful in this topic of not deceiving the purposes of God in matters of sexual intimacy, in your mind, in your heart, in your physicality, you know what God requires of you. And friend, let me be very clear. God created man. God created woman. They are unique. They are separate. God did not create man for, to marry man. He did not create woman to marry woman. He did not create man to try to become a woman. He did not create woman to try to become a man or something in between. You are what God created you to be, no matter what someone on TV or identity tells you. You are who God created you to be. It is that simple. And we will stand with that with compassion. We know there are people who struggle in this area. Maybe you are here at church and you've never told anybody. We know there are people that you know that, uh, that really struggle in this area. 
But I want you to know God's word is clear. That we are not to do anything. We are not to do anything to deceive the purposes of God. Why? Because he tells you at the end of verse 2 again. You know this already. So we gave you instructions through the Lord. Why do we follow this? Why do we stand on this? Even when the culture doesn't. Because the Lord told us to. And when the Lord tells us something, we perk up our ears and listen just as we would when our boss asks us to do something or someone we greatly respect does as well. Friends, sex outside of marriage or perverted sexual things deceives the purposes of God. That's number one. I want you to see number two. It not only deceives the purposes of God, it also disfigures, it disfigures the pattern of God. What is life really all about? Well, look at verse three. He tells you. Verse three he says, for this is the will of God. This is the will of God. What is? Your sanctification, or literally your holiness, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So many people, especially young people, come up at this time of year and say, what in the world am I going to do with my life? What is the will of God for me? And Paul tells you here in part is that the will of God for you is that you would be sanctified. And this isn't lip service. He says, this is the will of God. You want to please God? You want to walk with God in a sexually charged culture in your heart, mind, and, and, and practically? Then you know what the will of God is. He tells you, it's your holiness. God's purpose for your life is that you would be like Jesus Christ. That I would be like Jesus Christ. That our church, together as community, would be like Jesus Christ. That's it. It's not to have a better this or a better that. It is to be like Christ. And in doing so, he tells us that as we do that, we are going to abstain from sexual immorality. Let me define my terms for those type A people here. What is he saying here? The word literally there is pornea. I don't need to spell that out for you. We have taken the first four letters of that word, P-O-R-N, and made it into an industry called adult entertainment. This is a general word in the, old, uh, in the old days that literally means any perversion outside of one man and one woman in the context of marriage. It's a blanket term. So what does it mean? It means that we are to live for Christ in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls in such a way that we do not allow the stain and sickness of this world to overtake us, especially in this area. Men, I, I don't need to tell you, it is that time of year. It is that time of year when, when we have eyes, we are, we are visual people. When women walk around and they, they are in less clothing than before, it is so easy for us to start thinking things in our minds. Jesus told us, didn't he, in Matthew 5, that if we lust after a woman, or women, if you lust after a man even, in your, in your heart, in your mind, you've already committed adultery with them. Friends, we must be careful. We must be very, very careful here. You know, and I've told you a story before, when we were in, at William Jewell College, walking around with 18 to 22-year-olds for four years, we had a game that we would play. When we would notice in the, the far distance, young group of ladies walking down, we would play the game Squirrel. We'd say, Squirrel, and you'd look up. You just said, like, like you're looking at a squirrel up in the woods, because you didn't want your eyes to go someplace they shouldn't. Parents, this is, an, this is a thing for us, too, that we be diligent in what our kids are watching that we be diligent in what they're listening to and what visuals they have. 
It's amazing how easily things can sneak in. Legos is putting out a, uh, in, in honor of quote-unquote Pride Month, they're putting out a new set of things hitting store shelves in mid-June. Father's Day is going to be overtaken this year by gay pride parades. And friends, we need to be clear that God loves all people, but God also calls all people to come to the standard of Jesus Christ, to be sanctified, to be holy. How do you do that? You do that by coming through faith in Jesus Christ, and that's what it is. Our witness must be before an immoral world. Our witness must be before the world, and it's built on what Jesus has told us to do. It is our sanctification. Christian, if you're struggling with this verse and you're struggling with things in your mind, things on your screen, things on your phone, whatever, then, friend, you need to take it to Jesus. Talk to us as pastors. We're not perfect, but we want to walk with you through it. If you have shame or guilt and past mistakes in this area, Christ's forgiveness is enough. But we need to keep the focus where it is. Don't focus on the sin. Get your eyes higher and focus it on Jesus Christ, who is our sanctification. So it disfigures the purposes of God. But I want you to see verse 4 here, that we are also called to be disciplined. Look at what he says in verse 4. He says that each of you know how to control his own body. Literally, that each of you know how to control his own body or to take for himself a wife. If you're single in our church today, this is why Paul calls you, if you have a desire for these things, these, these intimate things, that you get married. That's why he says if you're burning, it's better to get married than to fall into sin, 1 Corinthians 7. And so what he tells us here is that we are to be disciplined in our body because each of us must know how to control ourselves. This means when that thing flashes across your screen that you are the first one out of there. That means when something enters your mind that something godly counteracts that. That means when God calls you to a place and a time where you are surrounded by people, immersed in this culture, that you are the first one to run away. Look, holiness is God's sovereign design. That's what he told us to do. He told us in our bodies that we are to make much of him, that we are to glorify our God in our body, 1 Corinthians 6, because we've been bought with a price. So what does this mean? It's not just a code of conduct. Holiness is something that we seek after. That's why he goes on in verse 4 and he says that we are not in passion like the Gentiles. We are not in passion like the Gentiles. What is he saying here? Doing what comes naturally is contrary to holiness. The world is what the Bible calls Gentiles. It's outside of Christ. Or in the Old Testament terms, it's Egypt. We don't want to go back to Egypt. We don't want to go back to our old sin. We want to follow after Christ. And so doing what comes naturally is contrary to holiness. And so, friends, what we need to do is what he tells us in verse 5. He goes on to say that it, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. If you know Christ, if you know God, and you're struggling with sexual sin, whatever it is, that is going to be something that's going to drag you down. Because that's what they want. They want those things. Statistics say that some can't even go a minute without thinking about these things. Maybe that's true, maybe it's not. But Christian, your calling is higher. Your, your, your witness is to be deeper. Your holiness is to be wider. And what you need to know is that the lost world worries over things that God will provide for those who trust in Him. If you're single today, and if you're not if you're single and you're not married, you trust God that he will bring someone to you. It may take a while in your terms, but it will take time in his time to bring it about. 
When your focus of your attention are on the things of God, He will gladly give you what you need. If you're struggling in your marriage with these things, have you talked to your spouse about these things? I'm not going to chase rabbits on this, but sometimes dealing with these issues is as simple as having a conversation. But if you're at home, if you're in this community, and there's a secret sin where everybody else goes to bed and, and you turn on your smartphone and bring up things that you should never do, friend, you have a problem, admit it, come to Christ. It's not worth it. It's not worth your time. Those images are just pixels on a screen. They may, they may do something in your bodily functions that cause you to do something, but I want to tell you that Christ is worth it more. Don't settle for it. But if we're honest, most men in the congregation of any church in today's America struggle with this issue. But men especially, God calls us to live not like those who don't know God, but to live like those who do. That's what our call is to do. So sex outside of marriage where mental or physical disfigures the pattern of God. But notice thirdly what it does here. It dupes the people of God. It dupes. It, 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 it basically thinks they're doing one thing and not the other. It dupes the people of God. Look at verse, look at verse 6. He says, down in verse 6, he says that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Friends, we are not to go beyond the boundaries that God has set. We are not to go beyond the boundaries that God has set. God has said this is the line of purity. We're not to cross it. This is the line that we're not supposed to go over. This is where it's at. I want to say a word about this. We can easily become so legalistic in our purity that we make purity itself a law beyond what God has required. Back in the 90s, when I grew up, there were movements called True Love Waits, and they had good intentions. We had purity parties. We had purity rings. We had purity celebrations. And those were well-intended, but they were moral and not necessarily spiritual. The line was, is that if you don't have sex outside of marriage, then you're a good person. We forgot to attach to it that if God is our God, we don't do those things because Christ died for our sins. Why do we not do this? We don't do this because Christ died for our sins. So it's not just about keeping people from doing a moral action. That's good. It's keeping people from doing sinful things because Christ is Lord. Do you see that difference? And so he says, if, if, if we follow the world, we are duped into believing that all things are okay. But notice the end of verse 6. He says, God will avenge the brother. He says, because the Lord is an avenger in these things. Friends, someday everything we do is going to be plastered on God's big 4K screen or whatever it is, projector screen. I don't know. However God will do it. We give an account for ourselves. And I can guarantee you, at the day we stand in judgment, not for our salvation if we know Christ, because we're secure in Christ, amen? But the day we stand before God and give account for every word, every thought, every deed, every action, we will not regret the times that we cut off that internet. We won't regret the times that we turned away from the TV, walked out of the room. We won't regret the times where our eyes looked a different place, our minds went to a, a, a more God-glorifying thought. But we will regret even the forgiven in Christ, the times where we allowed our thoughts to go places, our actions to take us places physically, where God says don't go. God is the avenger of these things, and he will right the wrongs. He says, as we told you beforehand, don't be duped. Friend, God is much more worth anything than we could ever do. He goes on in verse 7, 
premarital thoughts, premarital sex, physicality, not only dupes God's people, but fourthly, it damages the plan of God. Look at verse 7. It damages the plan of God. Verse 7 says, For God has not called us into impurity, but in holiness. He's basically repeating what he already told them in verses 3 and 4. But here he says that sex or sexualized things outside of marriage between a man and a woman basically damages the plan of God. Many of you adults have been around long enough to know that when divorce happens because of adultery, when, when, when someone goes wayward in these issues, it doesn't just happen in a corner somewhere hidden away. The thoughts, the actions impact people. It impacts a marriage. It impacts kids. It impacts grandkids even. I cannot tell you, Natalie and I are in our mid to late 30s, I cannot tell you that, you know, we've been out of college, hard to believe, almost 20 years, how the time goes. And, and we have seen friends who, who were committed to the Lord, who were, who were following after him. One of them cheats on another. One of them divorces because of these issues. One gets into an addiction of internet things. It's just, it doesn't just happen in a closet in a vacuum somewhere. This is real life. It happens all the time. So friends, when we follow after the world and things God says not to do, it damages the plan of God, doesn't it? And what we need to realize is that God does not call us to leave us where we are. He calls us into holiness. He calls us into seeking after things that he calls us to. It, it, it produces a growing holiness. What I mean by that is, is that we want the things God wants. We want to do the things God says to do. We want to be about the things he says to do. And God has saved each of us by his grace, and we trust in him through that. So, friend, I have a question for you. Have you prayed about this? Ladies who are older, who, have, who, are, who are widows, I put a note in here for you. Have you prayed this for young ladies in our church that Titus tells us to? Have you prayed that young ladies in our church would be pure and not throw the, their, their image or their bodies like a magazine cover at men, young men? Older men, have you prayed this for younger men? Have you prayed that the men of this church, the young men of this church, married or not married, who are substantially your junior in age, would walk in holiness, would walk in purity, would walk in things that God says to walk in? Married couples, have we prayed for other married couples in this thing? That we would not be those who damage the plan of God because of the thoughts that we have. God's purposes are that we grow closer to him. And friend, that is going to make our church countercultural. I said it before, if you're struggling in these areas, we love you. You're not some leprous outcast like the Old Testament. We want you as part of this fellowship. But at the same time, if you're struggling with these areas, you need to talk to someone about it. Because if you don't, it's just going to fester even more. So sex outside of marriage, mental or physical, damages the plan of God. And finally, verse 8, it disregards the power of God. It disregards the power of God. He says in verse 8, Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God. So let me just stop right there. Maybe you're listening to the sermon, and you say, Darren, I don't struggle there. Darren, I've gotten past that, Pastor. I, this, this just doesn't apply to me at all. Be very, very careful. Pride cometh before a fall, doesn't it? And so you may not think this is a struggle for you, but what Paul says to them and in no certain terms is, don't just throw it out. Don't just dismiss it. Don't just say, that doesn't apply to me. 
Because, friends, it does. Because sometimes we have drunk down this culture and we are like a fish in water. We don't know the difference. We have so allowed things on our screens and our images. I mean, friends, let's just be clear. It has been six years since the Supreme Court declared in our country that it is okay for a man to marry another man, a woman to marry another woman, or whatever in between outside of one man and one woman biologically created. Don't think that this doesn't happen. We have drunk down this culture so much. Church, we have to stand together against this. This is not a political statement. It's not a moral majority statement. This is what the Word of God says. This is what we're called to do. And people ignore God's word because it's their nature to do that. Outside of Christ, it's natural for a a non-Christian to do non-Christian things. That's what happens. But those of us who've recognized who God is, he's given us his Holy Spirit. Did you see that at the end of verse 8? He gives us his Holy Spirit. If you're struggling in this area, if you don't think you're struggling in this area, if you think you're okay in this area, regardless, we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Lord and Savior of all. And he's given us his Holy Spirit. Not the third stepchild of the Trinity, but the third person of the Trinity himself. He's given us his Spirit. And so what we know is this, and what we realize is this, is that God has given us all we need to live for him. And in living for him, he has given us all that we have to honor him. The word ignored is not just morals. It's not just missing those things. It is missing what God has said. So friend, what's this, as we close today, what does this mean for you? It means, first off, that if you're struggling, you need to come talk to someone about this. You need to come talk to someone about what you're struggling about. If you are not struggling with this, you need to be praying for other people in our church who are, or who might be, or who have past regret, even though they're forgiven in Christ and haven't struggled for years, you need to be praying for them. But I also want to say a word to some of you who have been abused, who have been against your will, whether that be physically, whether that be even spiritually and physically, or that be mentally. Some of you have been abused in this way in these areas, and on behalf of all of us, we, we are sorry. It should never have happened. But I want to tell you that there is a God who is faithful. There is a God who is forgiving. There is a God who is merciful and who loves you. And no matter what has struck you or come down upon you in your past, God is able to right those wrongs. There may still be hurt. There may be anger. I'm sure there's anger. There may be all sorts of things. But if that has happened to you, you are forgiven in Christ. It was not your fault. It was not something you brought upon yourself. And yet we pray that you find the peace of Christ through all those things. Friends, things outside of God deceive the purposes of God. They disfigure the pattern of God. They dupe the people of God. They damage the plan of God. And they disregard the power of God. But praise the Lord. He is so good to us. He's able to make us abound where we cannot. Church, if we want to be countercultural, then we need to remember this topic isn't going away. This topic isn't going to be buried. This topic isn't just something that we talk about in closed doors. Churches are going to have to make a choice. Are we going to stand for what God says on this issue or are we not? And he's written clearly about it. So may we seek him and him above all things. And may we know that sin is passing but his grace lasts forever.
Let's pray as we close into our last song. Let's bow our heads together. Fathers, we come before you. We thank you so much, Lord, for this time. These are not easy issues, Lord. These are not things that we don't know about, but Lord, they're things we have to talk about. This is why we preach, Lord, isn't it? Verse by verse or phrase by phrase, perhaps as it is through the word of God. Because, Father, if we're honest, these are not things. Even as a preacher, you want to bring up, you don't want to upset anybody. You don't want to call anybody out unnecessarily. But, Lord, I thank you that's how your word operates. It's not comfortable. But, Lord, at the same time, you bring us and wrap your arms around us as, as it is to remind us of your comfort and grace. The Lord, if we turn to you, as, as we read in Psalm 51, you hear us. And, Lord, you forgive us and you restore the joy of our salvation. So, Lord, in these matters, give us wisdom. Give wisdom to parents. Give wisdom to husbands and wives, to single, to widow, to widowers, to old, to young. Lord, because each of us struggle in this area at some point. So, Lord, may we be faithful to, to confess, to repent, and by your grace, not just do harder or try harder, but, Lord, to seek after your holiness. For, Lord, there's no more thing more beautiful than that you, the Holy One, came down to us, the unholy people, to send forth your Son, born of a virgin, born under the law, just the right time to die for us, to take the wrath, to bear the pain, to be buried, and to rise again on that, on that third day, and is coming again someday. Lord, what a joy that is. We know that truly. Father, we pray all these things today. We ask it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen.